you're listening to Inkstuds, and my guest this week is Simon Morton. Uh, his new book, From Uncivilized, is Plans We Made. Uh, for us, this book's been a couple years in the making. Uh, you guys did a Kickstarter last year, was it? Yeah, that's right. It was about, about this time last year. Uh, to originally be released with uh, Grimalkin Press. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Jordan, Jordan Shively, who I've known sort of in the Twitter sphere, you know, that weird thing where you think you know people and they're far away. Um, yeah, we've known each other for a couple of years and he, we'd kind of talked on and off about doing something and then he sort of popped back up again at the end of 2013 and was like, let's do a book. So I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and I bounced a couple of ideas around and he was like, yeah, that one's not very good. And then he's like, oh, that one's quite good. And so we kind of, yeah, went from there. And since it's been, uh, Grimalkin's been inhaled by uh, the fine, uncivilized. Yes, yeah, <laughs> the beast, the the beast. Uh, the beast that is um, uncivilized. The 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 gentle, uh, tasteful beast. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the kind of I kind of feel like I've sort of snuck into the that, that the beautiful house of uncivilized, like, kind of by the back door or something. It's um, it's pretty good. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it's really nice company to be in. Like, there's not a book uh, that I've seen them put out that I'm like, oh, that's a stinker. <laughs> like, it's it's really nice quality comics work, um, really focused. Yeah, like on the production it. values are they're like really great. Like when I got the um, because yeah, because I I sort of sent off the book, the uh, the artwork and stuff, and, and I kind of. Was like really worried about what it was going to look like, not because I didn't have faith in their beautiful design skills, but in that kind of way that you're not sure what your work's going to be like when it kind of hits the printed paper and, and all that kind of stuff. And then when I picked it up, it's like, oh my god, this is really beautiful. They've they've done this amazing thing to it. They've they've turned it into this, you know, this uh, this beautiful little artifact. So I was kind of really, yeah, I was really blown away by the kind of production work on it, which is really, yeah, really nice. Now most of your books, like you've sent me a bunch of mini comics, and they're all very uh, bright white paper, but mm. this book is printed on a really nice rough newsprint, mm. and I wonder if that was uh, something you knew that was going to happen, or was an intention with it? No, it wasn't. It was like it was it was a complete surprise, but like a really happy surprise. I think like I'd never I'd never taken that leap in my own mini comics, even though I had a couple of friends who like so Lando, who is behind Decadence Comics, he's a friend of mine. He was like. You should just like use this rough paper and you know, no, no more brilliant white stuff. And I was like, no, I can't. I'm not entirely sure why I felt like I was like terrified. Possibly read too many King Cats and seen that like beautiful contrast. Um, so yes, yeah, so when the book came, I was like thoroughly surprised. Um, but I was like, oh, it does look really nice like that. So um, yeah, it was it was it was a surprise, but like a really a really welcome one. And like the kind of I really like the the kind of the weight of the book because it kind of feels really. Um, sort of like portable and like you could sort of batter it around a little bit but it can kind of you know live in live in your live in your bag and stuff and travel with you yeah it it takes away from a little bit of a delicate preciousness that comes with a lot of like newer printing stuff with like the the sharp white paper like it just it makes it like there's a pulpiness to it yeah yeah that's what because that was the other thing that it reminded me of which i really liked was i had these little um these like I think the Coronet editions of um, of like peanuts, so little tiny tiny books, yeah, about the size of kind of a mini and stuff. And I used to read those growing up, like like um, you know yeah, late at night in in my bed as a kid and stuff. And then that kind of um, 
and them and then like far side and all those kinds of things are all printed on that kind of material I just like loved that kind of feel of sort of the disposability kind of makes you want to kind of hold on to it a little bit more I think so that yeah so when that came back I was like ooh yeah that's nice and like and I guess it kind of goes with like my approach to drawing as well is increasingly becoming like trying to step away from like that preciousness of like of um very kind of considered line and start to kind of get into more of a kind of a, an expressive and gestural thing so it kind of fits to kind of have a, a paper stock that, that yeah that kind of carries that a little bit mm-hmm. like you're pulling back and back further and further with your drawing style mm. yes definitely One of th- maybe let's step back a little because we're jumping into the new book but I kind of want to know more about where you're coming from uh, because you have this really interesting, beautiful, minimal style, but you don't just fall into that. Uh, I feel like it's something that's developed over time, and so maybe let's talk a bit about how you got to that point. Like, maybe what were some of your early influences and kind of some of your trial and error with comics? <laughs> uh, that's that's, that's a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying about my early work, Robin? I haven't um, seen it. <laughs> um well no i think it has developed over time definitely so i kind of started out making comics and zines in about it's about 2007 i guess and i'd always drawn and written um stories and things like that as a child and then i kind of went to sort of secondary school and then in secondary school which is like high school um i did um an art qualification sort of between 16 and 18 um where I basically painted some really awful paintings that were just dreadful, and my parents still have hanging on their walls, which which it fills me with no end of embarrassment whenever I see them. Um, and I kind of then sort of stopped doing stuff for a while, and then and then in about sort of two thousand six seven, I started going, I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing something again. I'm gonna start drawing. I think I'm gonna make a comic. Um, but those early ones were really kind of informed by what I think I thought a comic was supposed to be. So I was drawing, um, I mean, it's always been memoir, kind of, you know, autobiographical stuff. Um, but I was really preoccupied with all sorts of like things like, like panels and layouts and penciling and inking and, and all those kinds of things. And um, kind of get those things right. And then I kind of, and so that was smooth, that kind of series that I started, started then. And then by after about the third issue of that, I kind of completely managed to... Uh, kind of burn myself out just because I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to draw these really amazing things and the pages that look beautiful like all these people that I, I had kind of like started to read like um, Kevin Heisenga um, was one particular kind of formative influence there and then I realized well I just wasn't going to do that I wasn't that wasn't where I was coming from mm-hmm. and um, so around smooth four i think it was i i got so frustrated i just picked up a like a big soft pencil and just like scribbling and and that became the issue and i was like oh hold on a second this i could be onto something here so i spent a couple of years trying to kind of unlearn that kind of received wisdom about what comics should be that kind of like linear process of you know like scripting and penciling and inking and all that kind of stuff and then and this is the kind of stuff that i think frank santoro talks about as well it's like you can just the drawing, the gestural drawing, is like it's the thing. It doesn't have to follow that process if you don't want it to. Yeah. Um, so that kind of started the start of the journey towards kind of 
dropped minimalism really on the one hand because it was kind of much more about drawing quickly and, and not being so concerned with getting everything looking perfect and then I guess narratively I guess at the same time I was reading a lot of King Cat and I sort of found John's work probably around the time I was finishing my first issue of Smoo and I was like oh okay this is this is really interesting um, so I think there was a kind of I don't know what the word would be but kind of i felt a certain kinship to that way of looking at the world yeah even though the artwork took a, took another few years before it started to, to kind of pair back in that kind of way um and i think a lot of it also had to do with, with this idea that i was the other thing about that that kind of approach to comics where you kind of um which is sort of like the kachalka kind of craft thing where you where you spend a long time kind of honing your line or trying to make this beautiful thing that actually sort of doesn't look like a drawing by the end of it and that's not necessarily a bad thing so i'm thinking of people like you know um jester brown and seth and these like these like lines that look like sort of they're just perfect things but you kind of sometimes forget that they're drawings um and because i was really interested in self-publishing and kind of advocating for like people to make their own stuff i kind of wanted to make sure that the the kind of the process was visible on the page the mark yeah. was visible there yeah and, and that kind of really led me to kind of um sort of both sort of speed up and, and be okay with scruffy and more kind of like not necessarily abstract but certainly kind of you know that more kind of in the moment kind of drawing and like warren craghead as well as another kind of sort of big formative influence there because he was just like oh you can like just make these marks and the the drawing is the thing it's not like you're trying to tell a story that happens to be drawn it's like the drawing is it's like the artifact you're not getting caught up on representationism yeah yeah, because I think that, you know, um, you can kind of, it's a language of symbols and words and pictures that kind of, you know, interplay one another. And that's the, the wonderful thing about drawing is a means of communication, because you can, you know, like we understand a stick figure. Um, so you don't have to spend all of that time if you don't want to, trying to make the stick figure look like a, a, perfect, a perfect human form. Mm -hmm. But then I guess the other big thing about the minimalism thing was like, there's a lot of autobiography that is kind of very sort of <laughs> male, pale, self-loathing thing that goes through quite a lot of kind of um, self, yeah, the kind of self-deprecation. Yes, so the <laughs> kind of yeah, and I was just kind of like, and I, I didn't. I also was really conscious that I didn't want to kind of like tell people, you know. I went here and then I did this and then I said that and then this happened like 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 some kind of um sort of dialogue y sort of like chronological thing even though I mean I read work like that that, that I quite enjoy but like for me it kind of felt wrong because like memory isn't like that memory's this weird like splodgy mess that goes backwards and forwards um and up and down and you kind of you have gaps and you have kind of other things so I kind of wanted to kind of try and like really explore that kind of thing through the drawing as well where you can pick up that that sensation of being a bit like lost and, and and things like that and also that that it becomes more relatable in some way so that if you are reading through a comic and like you know you kind of you the comics trying to get like that essence of you know like in like in plans you made there's there's a bit about when i was a, about 12 years old and having a sleepover and and i climb out for some reason we climb out the downstairs window instead of using the front door at dawn to go run around the streets and have a look at the sunrise and sneak into the garden and all this kind of stuff 
and what I wanted to capture in that story was more what that felt like because I'm guessing that quite a few people may have done stuff like that when they were younger even if it wasn't exactly the same thing so you know the details of my story might not be as important as the shared kind of facility to engage with that feeling that kind of memory I almost like I feel like your approach to to dialogue is it kind of similar to to your approach to drawing in that like um it's this like fine art approach of like image marking image making um where it's integral towards what the image is um and like is it like it's not that dialogue that you're caught up on it's just it's part and I'm trying to figure out how to say this without sounding really pretentious, but I think there's a <laughs> difference between um, an auteur, like I'm thinking of like the cartoonist approach of, yes, the words and the images work together, um, but the words don't necessarily always play the role of being um, image-specific. Does that make sense? Sorry, I lost you again, man. <laughs> Uh, I was just saying, like, how the words that you use uh, are more image-specific and less caught up on um, a dialogue. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, like, I always kind of struggle. I mean, it's <laughs> one hand, there's a funny thing, because, like, I mean, I, I kind of... So, Grand Gestures, which was the book that... Um, the, the floppy I did with Retrofit Comics in, like, their, their second year, um, it's, like, 44 pages long, and that had, like... They had loads of words all over it. That was that was word heavy <laughs> when I yeah. wrote it. In fact, it started as like sort of like a, I guess like a piece of prose actually, if I remember correctly. But then when I kind of done the drawing, I just looked back and just went, yeah, I don't, I don't need any of that. So when I went back to do like the, kind of like put the lettering back in again, and that was probably pretty much the piece of work that which was what early twenty thirteen, which was kind of the turning point for me in this kind of way. It was like, oh, I don't, I don't need the words, you know, because I started doing that thing where you go like, you know. I, he got in the car and drove. Well, I've drawn a picture of a car, so we know he's driving, we know he's in it, so I don't need to put that in and, and that kind of stuff. And it just kind of became the, especially like um, scene setting and and um, that kind of narrative signposting was less important because actually the image kind of does it, does it for you yeah. to some extent. Um, and so to kind of then use the words to kind of draw attention to elements of that stuff I guess rather than um, necessarily you'd say in the garden it's just kind of like well I've drawn a garden but maybe I want to kind of draw attention to how I was feeling or that kind of stuff so it's maybe because you know you, you have to have some kind of sense of and that's that's always the tension in it some sense of like intentionality in, in, in what you're doing otherwise it's just like you know how much can you pare back and how many words can you strip out before somebody just doesn't really know what they're looking at and uh, that's been a that's been a kind of a constant kind of tension, I guess. So you have a PhD, and I don't know if I quite understood what it's on. <laughs> it's like uh, a study of studios. Yeah. So the PhD. Oh, that was yeah. Seems like donkey's years ago. I did that. That was. <laughs> what is that phrase? Donkey's years. Oh, just, just show the Britishness there, aren't I? Donkey's years. That's a. Fa I think that's a phrase. I'm looking at my girlfriend now. Is that a phrase? Yeah. 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 We think it is. <laughs> um, yeah. So the PhD was about. Um, so 
essentially what it would have ended up being about was it was looking at these organizations um, in London that provide affordable studio space for artists. So a lot of these organizations started 20, 30, 40 years ago in old derelict buildings as squats, as um, housing associations, that kind of stuff. And then over the years, they kind of developed what they did and um, kind of were quite instrumental in conversations about what the value of art and what the value of artists um, was. And then there was like a policy moment in the UK as well in the um, sort of mid-90s to the early noughties where the creative industries suddenly become a big thing and how everybody should be creative and you can make a living from being creative and things like that. And that kind of, and then there's a big property boom as well happening at the same time. So I was really interested in how those organisations responded to that kind of changing social language about about creativity, and how they used it to kind of stave off the threat of having their buildings taken over by private property developers. Um, so that was the PhD, and then just as I finished doing my fieldwork, the um, uh, financial crash happened, and then. There was no more property boom, so everything seemed a little bit um, <laughs> redundant, maybe. Kind of, but I have a feeling the property boom is back up again by now. Yes, it'll be. It'll be. It's coming back. But yeah, so yeah, so I was I was a geographer, or I am a geographer. That's the uh, the background. Um, I mean, that's the nice thing about geography these days. You can do anything in geography, it turns out. Yeah. No, I have a friend who I, who, I think he's a PhD, or he's finishing off his PhD, but looking at uh, border security and stuff, And but he's able mm -hmm. to cover lots of different things within his geography major. It's, it's quite fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, because like a big part of the, the the kind of reading and learning and stuff that I did around geography kind of throughout the PhD and before is also around things like landscape and place and memory and how all those things combine to kind of inform our sense of self and, and those kinds of things, which are actually quite sort of big undercurrents in, in my comics as well. Mm -hmm. Again, without trying to sound too pretentious about it, but it's sort of like... It's sort of like on the one hand, like I think when I was when I was growing up, like I said, I always drew stories and I always talked about things, and and it, we moved around a little bit as um, with my dad's work, and and I always like to kind of I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> a definitely a nostalgist in many ways, and you know my my parents and I and my brother when we have these conversations, a family gets together, we're always trying to like remember, you know, what happened when, when was that, when was that date? We kind of try and reinscribe these stories all the time. So on the one hand, I've got, like, that side of me, which kind of, you know, kind of thinks about that stuff. And then I've got this, like, professional, academic, theory, stupid kind of side <laughs> of me that, that also uh, that also kind of deals with that. And, and the drawing, actually, in the zines has kind of been, like, a real kind of, I guess, like, breaking away from that stuff a bit, like, trying to not over-intellectualize and trying not to kind of, like, think too deeply about that, but kind of be a, be a more, more kind of, like... Yeah, connect with that earlier sense of like wonder and and excitement about the world, and and not worry too much about having to try and like theorize or have like you know philosopher 
philosopher offs with other academics who want to kind of name check people I've never heard of and things like that. Now you uh, didn't grow up necessarily in one specific part of the UK, right? Like you lived in Cardiff and Bristol, um, which yeah, that's right. And um, you you grew up in different regions of mm -hmm. the UK, uh, Cardiff and Bristol both being quite different, I think. Uh, you can correct mm. me if I'm wrong, as I've been in neither. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm wondering about how that that kind of affects your approach to geography. Uh, while most folks in the UK tend to stay regional or something involving going back and forth from London, but not necessarily exploring much of where they're from. Yeah, I mean, I think, so I was... So I was born in Dover, and then I moved to Surrey, and then and then so, so I spent my childhood in the Welsh borders in a very kind of rural setting, um, uh, which was very exciting, you know, to be a kid and to be able to kind of run around the countryside. And we lived in so Smooth Seven is like the issue that kind of has some of that stuff in it. And I kind of lived, yes, yeah, so I lived in like a sort of a collection of houses three miles outside of the nearest town, and there was like a derelict mansion um, in our neighborhood essentially that we could go and explore and so that kind of has a real kind of but it was also kind of like going to school that was weird because it was kind of a quite a rurally poor area so the school was quite deprived and stuff like that so you kind of have this you grow up with like this sort of different views of of um people and, and the way that people are and the things that happen to them to kind of make them the way that they are because then after move after living there i moved to Marlow, which is this like suburban town about 40 miles outside of um, London, which is which is what Plans We Made is about. It's about going up in this kind of affluent sort of dormitory town for for London. And so that kind of contrasting experience of like seeing kids with like really difficult backgrounds to like basically being in like posh town UK on, on the uh, on the Thames was was like quite a contrast. And then and I kind of got so I quite got used to kind of I guess moving on so I then went to university in Exeter and then in Cornwall and then I moved to Cardiff and then Bristol so I've been in Bristol about nine years now which is I think the longest I've personally lived anywhere so um which is quite nice um but it does kind of I think it, it did kind of instill in me like because things changing because you come and go from these places they sort of they, they become quite um what's the word, not compartmentalised, but you kind of, you, you form a particular kind of relationship with them that is finite because, you know, you moved away. So there is this sort of like ending in the sense of like um, really being able to kind of associate certain feelings about a place, certain landscapes, certain, you know, the, the, the shade of tarmac on the roads or something with, with a particular set of feelings that you have in a particular time in your life. Mm -hmm. So so I think for me that's kind of where that, that comes from, like you know, countryside, the smell of sheep, <laughs> the smell of manure, um, uh, the dawn chorus, birds, nature, that kind of stuff very much is sort of ingrained in me in relation to what it felt like to be a kid. Um, whilst there's sort of posh people driving around in their 4 by 4s and their sports cars and, and looking down on this um, straggly little little ginger kid. <laughs> um, it's definitely like something that I kind of, I kind of associate with... with um, these sort of endlessly kind of uniform suburban houses and the kind of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I guess landscape and, and moving around, I guess, does kind of do that to you. But but you know, I mean, moving around by 
UK standards is quite different to moving around by, by American standards and Canadian standards, I imagine, because, like, you know, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're a couple of hours away from London here, so that's that's relatively far by, you know, UK standards. Um, but it's like, it's like nothing for you guys, <laughs> two, two hours. Well, that was, that was what really surprised me um, when I was over there is, I was like, I'm going to Scotland. Everyone's like, oh, I've never gone. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a thing that happens as well. I've, um, yeah, because it, it just gets a long way, you know. And also, one well, of the things, the, the cost of public transport in the UK is is incredible. Like, yeah. like, like to get the train to Leeds. So I think you came to Thought Bubble, didn't you? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So from from here to Leeds, it could be like that was about forty pounds. I think I spent. Coming up from London? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's probably maybe twice that, three times that to get from to get from Bristol, which is just which is just silly, <laughs> you know. And to get to to get to Scotland, you're looking at upwards of a couple of hundred pounds probably. And it's just, you know, at that point it becomes prohibitive because actually I can fly elsewhere in Europe for that money, um, and that kind of stuff. And so that the, the we we have a weird relationship, I think, with with, with our own internal like borders in that sense because like if you're going to start spending that much money on getting a train to scotland you know you might spend that money on getting a, a plane to italy or spain or sweden or something like that where that sense of like difference is really pronounced in terms of uh, you know going on holiday but no we've kind of been talking about this and like this idea that i really want to kind of dig in a little bit more to kind of the uk and actually go around and see some of these places because it's true we, we i think generally we're not very good at moving around our own country it's quite like my girlfriend and I, we drove from London up to Glencoe, mm. and everyone thought we were crazy. Like, you drove? from like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. I think I was talking to, um, something like, I think Chuck Forsman about this at SPX a couple of years ago, and he was like, oh, yeah, I've just driven what, 11 hours or whatever it was to get, to get, to get, to get here. It was on the T- TCAF or SPX or somewhere, and I was like, you can't drive that long in the UK. You just you just fall off. You fall into the sea, and 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 our sense of you know. And there's actually like a, a weird quote that I, from Neil Gaiman's The Books of Magic of all of all things that I, <laughs> that I always remember in relation to this, which is like, you know, we kind of have history over here, and like how that deep sense of time runs through a lot of the things that we do, a lot of our kind of like cultural and social memory, and the fact that you know I walk to work past like you know things that are hundreds and hundreds of years old but what what you guys have over there is you have geography you have space and expanse and and like wilderness in a way that we just we just don't so like your relationship to space is like that's why i think british people are endlessly fascinated with your great american road trip because you have this thing and this relationship with this thing that we just we just don't really have and so yeah exploring that stuff is, is something i'm quite interested to do as well and in like in a small way in little in little zines is that kind of sense of time and time and place mm-hmm. there, there's something neat uh about time within your comics where it doesn't even exist to me in a way <laughs> um because you're not caught up on when the stories take place as much as just it taking place in a space hmm. yeah i think I think it kind of goes back to that that sense of um, 
I'm trying to get at like particular kinds of moments or the feelings of particular kinds of moments, and it's more about sequencing those sets of feelings. And it's kind of, for me, that can be quite atemporal. But what's really nice about like comics, obviously, is the way in which you can, you can within a moment, you can speed up and you can slow down the perceptions of what's happening, and that in itself is a statement. And the fact that you know you can look at a spread and like when your eyes land on one panel, like the first panel, you're just as likely just to read like a little bit at the end of the next page and all this kind of different stuff all at once. And I think that that, that kind of, if you kind of can use that um, well, which is, which is really interesting exploring, is you can kind of give that slightly woozy sense of kind of, um, of well, memory, I guess, for me is a little bit like that because it's sort of, it's not really, you don't remember things in the way that like, you know, a television program is put together. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't really remember. You know, like I mean, you probably see this like doing, um, you know, doing doing interviews and stuff. Is that you think about um, what you think you've said and how wonderfully erudite you are, and, uh, <laughs> and then you listen back and you're like, oh my god, I'm like just the biggest rambling fool. And you know, realistic dialogue and realistic kind of. Um, sequences of events and things like that are really it's kind of a bit of a fallacy i think mm-hmm. but what comics does let you do is kind of reinterpret that and reinterpret that kind of like linear filmic um, depiction of stuff i think into that really kind of yeah a different kind of um framing i think i'm comfortable though with knowing i'm a rambling fool <laughs> yeah I've, I've 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 had to come to terms with that with, with myself as well um I'm okay with it. <laughs> um, I don't actually remember very many of the interviews because it's so much, and they're so just like you just kind of do it, and then it's mm. done, and it happened. But I don't. It's weird. Like I engage with them in a different way than personal conversations. Yeah. Yeah, know. absolutely. It's it's odd. I don't quite grasp how I do it. Um, <laughs> I don't think I ever will. Because <laughs> it's pure professional, you just switch into professional mode, and then your brain's just like, "I'm gonna take over from here." You sit back. <laughs> I did have one point where I had a couple of friends sit in on an interview, and they were giving me a hard time after because apparently um, I sounded a lot smarter than when I just hang out with them. And so they're like, "Do you just give a stupid Robin, and then that's smart Robin?" <laughs> yeah it's funny isn't it like um but then i guess that's how we 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 communicate with people isn't it you kind of you adopt particular like you know professional i'm not i'm I'm not sure what you do in in your day job you kind of adopt a particular kind of tone and a particular way of speaking and like you know like like my experience in in universities when i do my phd is very much like that you have like this professional way of comporting yourself and communicating with your stuff self which is which is fine and useful and serves its purpose, but then, like, when you're just with friends and you're just trying to kind of let go of some of that, it does, yeah, it does yeah. kind of, it is a marked contrast. And I guess, like, a bit like I was saying earlier about, like, the comic stuff, I guess I'm trying through, like, drawing really quickly and drawing really simply and and trying to get like, the essence of, of an event or a place or a moment is kind of trying to get back to that kind of unselfconscious um, thing that isn't mediated by me using words like mediated more than once in, in 10 minutes. I like that. <laughs> um, 
when I was looking through your websites and your work, uh, one work I was really interested in is uh, you did a 30 days thing. And I kind of want to know mm -hmm. more about that because I don't think I quite understood what so, that project was. So 30 Days Comics is kind of like the comics version of um, NaNoWriMo, um, you know, National Novel Writing Month. Um, oh, okay. You know, so basically, and it was actually, yeah, that stuff was really important to me. So Derek... Um, Badman, who is a comics maker and a writer, he set that up um, probably about 2010-11, I think, was when he did it, and basically just encouraged people to make a comic every day um, for 30 days, which is in, in, in November. And so I did the first one, it was about 2011, I think, and it was a real, it was around that same time that I was drawing some before that I mentioned earlier, where I was like drawing quickly and scruffily and trying really hard to become to not spend six hours on a page, you know, of, of comics and actually try and create something a bit more rapid, I guess. And so, yeah, so you make a comic. Some people might, like, write a 30, you know, a 30-page comic and do a page a day. Some people, like Warren Craghead, who probably draws about 15 different comics every moment anyway because he just doesn't stop drawing. Um, there's this other kind of approach to it. And it was a really important way for me to kind of unlearn a lot of the kind of hang-ups that I'd given myself about having to be perfect. So I did it 2011, 12, maybe 14 as well, I think. So I always try and do it, but, you know, life gets in the way in many ways. But, but yeah, so in 20, yeah, no, 2013 I did do it. Yes, that was... That was a really weird year, that one. But it was incredibly important for me to kind of... it kind Because, of, you know, I try and process my life and the stuff that happens to me and my thoughts and my feelings and all that kind of stuff by making comics. That was a real kind of, like, diary, dear diary month and yeah. year, 20, 2013. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, and then 2014, I decided I would try and make a zine every day for um, 30 days. Which was a really stupid idea. It was um, it was ridiculous. But I ended up kind of making about sort of twelve zines. I think it was you know some of two or three pages long, little concertina thing, and just really kind of play with with form, I guess, and approach to form in in, in how you convey comics. So that's the other thing that, that's that's really great about self publishing is that to some extent you can just try weird stuff, yeah, um, and do kind of different kind of different sort of iterations. Um, of um, of like how you tell a story and its relationship to format and obviously like everybody kind of um, um, you know talks about Chris Ware and building stories in that kind of sense and that's that's the kind of thing that was um, that is really interesting is how yeah how you use form and how you use um, format I guess so yeah so 30 days basically is just an excuse to experiment and actually like I got to know Warren's work through it um I got to know Oliver East and Alan Haverholm and Elle Nichols and Kevin Kevin oh my god I can't remember his surname pronounce his surname Chap Chapuse oh uh Kevin Zap Zap yes sorry Kevin anyway um <laughs> he does great and, stuff yeah he does amazing stuff and and this guy called Phallus Lira, who's from Brazil, and all these people that I kind of didn't really know about, um, who just made comics in so many different kinds of ways. Um, yeah, it's been a really kind of eye-opening experience for me. So, and if you hear, by the way, if you hear some some weird noises in in a couple of minutes, it's it's my cat who has just <laughs> has been let in the house and has jumped on the table and is um, 
walking all over noisy, noisy oh, bits. That's okay. Actually, my cat just jumped on me. So, <laughs> um, there you go, folks. This is what happens in uh, comics podcasting. Cats and there was, things. There was an amazing moment when, when because we've only had the cat for for a little while, and uh, when I said, "I'll oh, just just post this picture on the internet," I was like, "Oh God, I've become one of those." <laughs> <laughs> The, the cartoonist who posts pictures of their cat on Instagram. Um, so yes, I have definitely fallen foul of, of that particular uh, that particular crime. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Although my no. friends may disagree with the amount of photos I post of my boys. <laughs> yes, no, I have noticed, but I couldn't possibly comment given I do exactly the same. <laughs> so I mean, it's not if it's not a picture of my cat. Whoops! It's a picture of sorry, the cat nearly fell off the table. She's quite a clumsy cat. If it's not a picture, a photograph of my cat, then it's probably a drawing of the cat. So, mm-hmm. yes, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, how uh, Warren Craig had uh, affected you artistically because you mentioned mm-hmm. him a couple of times, and there's definitely a linkage between you two. Uh, and I find what Warren's doing really fascinating, really amazing. Um, and you're not doing the same thing. Obviously, you guys are very different, but there's a space you both uh, kind of live in, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, I think, like, so I'd say, like, probably the two kind of, you know, kind of important influences, like like I kind of said before, is, like, one would be John Porcelain, kind of the way in which he kind of... Um, not only like his sort of DIY ethos and his kind of like politics around making, but that kind of like um, pairing back stories to these kind of moments. And the thing that Warren really brought brought to that for me, like discovering his work, and because I'd kind of come across his work before in sort of I think Oliver East had put him on in a, an exhibition, um, not one for knocking on or something like that, a few years before, and I'd seen it and I was like, I don't really understand understand that. And then it kind of clicked suddenly that what he does is he kind of like he that the drawing is the thing the drawing is the story he does comics poetry but the beat of the word or the letter is actually as much about beat of a line or the feeling the feeling of looking at this like scribble and it was that kind of that sort of immediacy where where like he doesn't like I would never say that you know Warren sketches anything because every drawing is a drawing you might not use the first drawing you might choose to do a different drawing and that kind of thing really kind of influenced me but it was that combination of like being able to have um, a minimal and pared down approach to how you understood your life and the moments that you look at kind of intellectually and emotionally they got from John but then the kind of act of of mark making and drawing is this this like this this way of kind of being a bit more viscerally connecting with what you're doing and not like I said earlier not hiding the fact that this thing you're making is a drawing because as soon as you you realize that the act of drawing is is key um actually um I think to, to translating memory it was kind of like a yeah it kind of un- unlocked something in me and um yeah I've kind of yeah he's been a big big influence in that kind of in that kind of way do you ever look at uh, Austin English's early work. You know, I don't know. Too, I know his name, but I don't know his work too well at all, actually. But I was flicking through um, the uh, 2D Cloud Winter Collection Kickstarter, which everybody should back um, <laughs> right now, um, because his work is in there. And I was like, oh, this stuff's really. I mean, I think it's more contemporary his stuff, mm. but like, 
but I was like, oh wow, this is this is this is really exciting, um, and a lot of their work is like that as well. Um, that I that I didn't know about, and then I started looking at, and like Maggie Umber's stuff is really exciting too. And I was like, oh okay, this is this is nice. But I'm a what's the word I'm looking for? I'm really bad at reading comics. <laughs> I need to do it more because um, there's so much exciting stuff out there that I'm just kind of getting connected to now that I sort of, yeah, just really, yeah, really good. Well, the reason I brought him up is because there's an interesting, uh, something he used, he would do, and I don't know if he still does, I haven't read anything recent he's done, where, uh, and I see kind of in some of your stuff, especially your kind of more rougher uh, rush work, um, where the dialogue doesn't necessarily go within the panel. Mm -hmm. It kind of continues on its own odd beat throughout mm. the page. And it kind of it didn't make sense to me at first when I first read it. And then I saw him do a reading, and it just kind of clicked, and I got it. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely see some, something you'd be interested in, just this whole kind of beat to the dialogue. Do you mm. feel a beat within your... <clears throat> In your words? Yeah, I think so. I mean, so actually the book is really, so Plans You Made is a really interesting example of that in that I end up having sort of blank pages with just sort of like, almost like scene setting moments, like like a line, and then like sort of a bunch of pages of silent comics and then another line. And, and, and that was the way that, the way round separating that out. Um, and so now I'm really interested in kind of working out how to integrate it back in again a little bit. So I'm working on some stuff at the moment for for a new zine series, which I which I'm starting, um, which kind of takes where. So I finished so smooth. Um, I finished it at smooth at issue ten um, in December. So I, I'm no longer run doing that series. I kind of had sort of kind of um, set myself up a bunch of rules by accident that I was kind of subconsciously fitting myself into so I kind of finished that and uh, this new stuff I'm working on isn't going to be seismically different in many ways but but it is kind of exploring that kind of that that beat that integration of text and like I always think about what John Porcelina says about like you know he's got terrible handwriting but lettering is drawing is drawing because you yep. draw the letters and actually when you take that to its next conclusion well actually that squiggly line that's meant to represent a bird is also an M, which is also an A, which is also a anything else. So actually, when you start seeing it as part of the, the composition, as much as so, so visually part of the composition, as well as like phonetically and the beats and things like that, and that's that's really exciting for me and really interesting. And I think it's where the comics poetry stuff is really kind of interesting as well, because I'm kind of affiliated with that stuff because, you know, visually and textually, it's quite sparse I guess what I do um, but a lot of the comics poetry I've seen could be described as um, you know non-linear comic stories with, with with kind of jarring words or illustrated poems and I think those things aren't quite what I'm interested in it's exactly that, that way in which text visually and phonetically interweaves with things because you know how like, you use um, you know so we, we're used to using like images um in in like in a particular kind of sequence and a particular kind of pacing to kind of have emotional resonance and i have to kind of focus on that quite a lot in my own work because there's not really much on the page right so you've got to kind of make sure that like you really kind of get that kind of sense of um rhythm and pacing right so that's why i'm really interested in how 
words then come in and out of that. Um, and also because I've started writing sort of prose things as well, which is something I really want to pursue. And then if you're doing that and doing like, you know, sort of dense wordy prose and then also minimal, you know, gestural drawings, how the hell do you actually like merge them in a way that isn't jarring? Because like, and again, I think it goes back to what I was saying about this kind of this competition within myself between like the academic training I've done and then the kind of personal kind of more sort of intuitive kind of art making and, and I think they both have a place and what's that what is that kind of interplay so yeah and I always think that like for me in that sense like comics are very much about making sense of the world for me and, and what I do and who I am and words and pictures where how it comes out and that's how I sort of landed in comics I don't really have a background reading comics particularly um in many ways um maybe that's not strictly true but like I'm not you know, I, I came to comics by making comics, really, other than, like, reading Pe Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe Ghost World and Sandman as a teenager, I think, were the other ones. Um, and a little Books of Magic, too. Oh, yeah, Books of Magic, yeah. I mean, my friend my friend who... who oh, I gave a talk last night about my comics in, in, in London, and my, my friend... I didn't know he was coming along, and he came along, and I was... So he's the friend in the book who tries to climb over the wall and fails. And um, but he used to work in a um, in a bookshop. Um, he used to sell secondhand and damaged um, uh, books. And I used to go to the graphic novel section there when I was yeah we must be about sixteen seventeen and just buy things. So I've got like a a random like um, blood of Palomar or something like that like Love and Rockets collection. Yeah. I had a random you know um, odd issues of Sandman those kinds of things, but. I didn't know anything about the world that produced them, and like, uh, yeah, like I got Ghost World from there as well. I didn't know about self-publishing. I didn't really know about comics. I didn't know about any the context that they, they, those things came in. I just knew there were these books of images and text that were, were quite interesting. So that was kind of the only comics thing that I really sort of engaged in. Probably, um, so it was always I was always interested in words and pictures, and like my parents had like a family friend who was in, into comics and stuff, and I kind of sort of registered them, but I never. I never really engaged in them properly, indulged in them until until I started making comics, which point then I did. And now I have absolutely no idea why I'm talking about this stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what am I saying? Comics. Comics. Um, yeah, no, I've we gone on one of those rants where I just have no idea what I was going. Well, going we were towards. talking about uh, about Warren Craighead's work, um, and then you yes, segued into into yes. other things. <laughs> yes, yes. So it was this, this, this idea that like words and pictures and like self-publishing, that combination of things is like incredibly important to me because it kind of, um, it kind of feels like intuitively right to me. So a lot of my, I wouldn't say that. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I intuitively like that's why it's that always that thing about like. You know, am I an artist who makes zines with comics in them, or am I a cartoonist? And, and did I make a graphic novel, or did I make a book that happens to be drawings? And like, we have fallen into all these traps with these labels and these approaches and these names for things that we do. But essentially, I'm just trying to like work out what on earth I'm doing in life, and I, and I tend to do that through through drawing, I guess. Um, and and yeah, and that's how I ended up in in comics, having having a thoroughly lovely time. <laughs> Is there much of a scene in Bristol? Bristol is an interesting one. Um, so about five, six years ago, um, 
so my friend Nick, Nick Socek, who does a comic called Misinterpreted Complications, he and I were basically started making comics about the same time, and we knew each other from way back, and and had sort of both chanced upon making comics as this kind of visual, this, this kind of artistic iteration thing that we were doing, and um, it was, and we kind of went to our first show, which was the Bristol Comic Expo, which is quite, um, which doesn't exist anymore, but was very much genre-based comics, more traditional kind of comics. And he and I started doing that, and then we went to Thought Bubble for the first time. And there was this guy sitting there in this like cap, like this hoodie with like these like weird ass sci-fi things sitting across from us. And um, turned out he's from Bristol as well. And it was um, Lando from Decadence, who whose work you might know. Oh yeah, I would, yes, yes. I uh, interviewed him when I was in England. Oh, cool, yeah, you did, of course, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, and it's Lando, and he's like, oh, I, I'm from Bristol, too. And we kind of had that moment, we're like, well, this is a bit stupid. Why don't we, why don't we hang out together? We could have, like, given, you, given one another a lift. Yeah. And so that kind of drove us, when we got back home, to kind of setting up, um, we set up a zine called Bear Pits, which was basically an anthology zine of comics and drawing and writing for anybody we could come across in the area that, that did stuff. Because I think... The thing about Bristol is it's really a creative city. There's loads of stuff happening, but it seems to happen in kind of little bubbles, and those bubbles don't necessarily always communicate with one another. Mm. Um, so we did bear it for a bit, and then we set up the Bristol Comic and Zine Fair, me and Nick and our friend Esme, and that was 2011 in the back of a pub. And um, it's now grown to be quite a big a big thing and, and quite a nice sort of marker, I think, on, on the comics calendar um, is the Bristol Comic and Zine Fair. And I, I mean, I stepped down it the end of December so I could kind of focus on other stuff after five years of doing it but so we built quite a lot of capacity I think for that kind of stuff to happen but then at the same time we have um, the university where I work is an arts university so there's loads of illustration graduates and artists who are making zines and comics and that kind of stuff so there's more nationally there's been like this upswell of um, of like people making that kind of of sequential art, of illustration, of, of zines, of design, of that kind of stuff. So the combination, I think, of like a natural change in the stuff that graduates are coming out with, plus, um, yeah, I guess things like Bear Pit and the Zine Fair, but also other people in Bristol who were doing similar stuff um, alongside that in parallel to us were really kind of, um, kind of did that. But then on the flip side, there's... There's a comic shop called Excelsior, which I think focuses more on genre stuff, so I don't really go there. <laughs> I can tell um, by the name. Yeah, and, 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 and like, you know, no no bad thing necessarily, but just, like, so the, actually the infrastructure doesn't really exist in Bristol, which is really weird. Like, I find it hard to find out there that will sell my zines. Um, not because people are sneery about them or anything like that, but just because they just aren't those venues particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an interesting city for that. Um, but yeah, but I get the impression that like a lot has changed in the last few years for that. Um, but, but yeah. Now, a reminder, folks, I've been chatting with Simon Morton. Uh, his new book is From Uncivilized uh, Plans We Made, as well as a whole array of mini-comics, including the Smooth series, which ended at 10, uh, and a whole thwack of things you can find at his website, smoocomics.com? Yeah, smoo-comics.com. There you go. Um, thank you so much, Simon. I uh, really thank enjoyed you very talking much. to you, and I really enjoyed your comics. I uh, definitely suggest folks checking it out. Um, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much.
Thank you very much. Lemonade. Look, look, the sun is setting, the moon is rising, the stars are getting ready to glimmer. I've just had a bath, I've just had a shave, I've rubbed on my favourite scent, I've washed down a pie and chips with a lemonade, and darling, I'm waiting for you. The sun has set, the stars are out, I hear your feet on the mat. Hello dear, it's dark outside, the moon's in the sky, would you like a glass of lemonade? How about a walk, I'll show you the stars, I'll kiss you in the dark. Have you eaten a pie and chips? Yes. Forget about the kiss in the dark. I'll just have the lemonade, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>